Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, our weekly food news roundup. Fall is finally here, so it's time to get funky and devote an episode to some of our favorite spunky microbes. Fungi just provide this beautiful, whimsical lens on how the world works. They have so many roles. They're this strange and magical-seeming group of organisms, but they've got it all figured out. Should you eat the cheese rind? Can you eat the rind? These are like the biggest questions. We'll answer all of your questions about mysterious mushrooms and crazy curds. Plus, we'll give you a sneak listen to the newest season of Modernist Breadcrumbs. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, this is Diane Stemple on Heritage Radio Network's Cutting the Curd. Today, I'm excited to interview the 2018 winner of the Daphne Zeppos Teaching Award, Eric Meredith. Hello, Eric. Hi, Diane. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. First, let me tell any listeners who don't know though I find it difficult that any listeners wouldn't know, but I'll just tell them about the award. Uh, Daphne Zeppos was an amazing cheese professional who died an untimely death in 2012 and left behind many cheese people who were irrevocably touched by her dedication to traditional cheese in both the United States and the world. So what her friends in the cheese world created was this scholarship to help someone research and add to the cheese fund of knowledge in her name. So this year's winner was Eric Meredith. Congratulations, Eric. Thank you very much. So first, let's discuss your cheese experience, which is quite substantial. Correct? Yeah, happy to. Yes, yes, yes. Um, (laughs) I started in the cheese world at Murray's Cheese in New York City on Bleecker Street. And Um, that's where I met you. That is where we met. That's what I was (laughs) going to say. Exactly. Um, It's also while I was in that role that I met Daphne Zeppos for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can talk a little bit about that when I I go to the next stage. Uh, From there, I met Hervé Mons at Murray's Mm -hmm. and um, moved to France. Uh, and luckily, well, luckily, uh, got a job with Hervé Mons mm-hmm. at the caves in saint anne le chatel Now, did where, you um, already speak French then, or did you just have some French and then you got deeper? No, that's a, that's a question I always get. Uh, I didn't speak a word of French when I moved there. <laughs> Um, so that made it that made it difficult. Um, I did I did take you know as as most Americans do I did take four years of Spanish in high school and I feel like that helped. Um, but when I eventually moved to Santon de Chatel, one of the things that helped was I I was the only really native English speaker there, mm-hmm. so I didn't have many opportunities to to cheat and revert back to English. 
and that that certainly that certainly helped in my French language learning uh, while I was there. It took about six months to really feel comfortable uh, oh, conversing wow. in French without without getting migraines and having trouble sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> and that was probably just on the topic of cheese at first. Oh, mostly yes. <laughs> well, I didn't have I didn't I didn't have much to talk about outside of cheese at that time. <laughs> Um, so in my in my time there, I was there for about six years. Wow! Um, I started I started washing boards and and flipping cheese. And when I left there, I was the um, well the chef de cave, kind of the general manager mm-hmm. of that location in Saint Andre Chateau, which is where I really have to say I, mean, I learned pretty much everything I know about mm-hmm. affinage and cheese and cheese aging and cheese making. Mm-hmm. It's a really wonderful company to work for. Um, towards the end of my time there, I took a sabbatical to South America mm-hmm. uh, to make wine in Chile, which was a lot of fun. I spent mm. just over a half a year traveling around South America, and I made wine in South America and mm. uh, was contacted by uh, by Kathy Gaffney at Wegmans, mm-hmm. who uh, now I can bring Daphne back into the fold during my time at Mons, Daphne Zepos, um brought Cassie Gaffney over to France to see a cheese case that we were working on, Irving and I were working on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is because of Daphne's Epos that I was in touch with Cassie Gaffney, who offered me an opportunity to design, build, and run the cheese aging facility, the Affinage Center for Wegmans in Rochester. Oh, wow. Um, so one thing led I, to another, and Daphne was instrumental. She absolutely was. Um, she often hooked people. She often hooked people up for their future jobs. I think she does. Yeah, yeah she's she yeah. great at it. Yeah. Um, so it was during that uh, sabbatical leave in South America where um, I went up to Wegmans. Wegmans brought me up to Rochester to mm-hmm. have a sit and chat about this project. Mm-hmm. Um, offered me the position. I finished my sabbatical in South America. Went mm-hmm. back to France where I was still living at the time, mm-hmm. and had sublet my apartment during, so when I got back, I was living with Hervé in his house, uh, <laughs> and over the next two months, he slowly convinced me that it was an opportunity that I couldn't turn down, and I'm really happy that he did. Oh, so, he helped you leave. He, he didn't, he didn't he did, try to yeah. keep you. <laughs> he, for a short while. I think, I think he, I think he knew, he knew that this was a good step for my career. Oh, great. Uh, and then, um, so I went over to Rochester, New York, worked on that project, um, designing and building those caves, and ran that facility for a mm-hmm. few years. Must be a pretty and big then, change from France to Rochester. It was huge. <laughs> but I got to say, saint anne chatel uh, is a little village of just a few hundred people. Oh, um, okay. So, so moving to Rochester, even though I had previously lived in New York City, moving to Rochester was was a welcome change for a slightly more metropolitan style of life. <laughs> okay, good. Um, and then I was contacted by Jason Hines and David Lockwood from Neil Dairy, who I had known for quite some time uh, because I actually helped open up uh, Mons UK in London. Mm-hmm. And while we were doing that, we were receiving our cheeses with Neil Dairy. Mm-hmm. And they had mentioned to me that they were ready to move forward with their new project, which was moving the whole of their Affinage facility and distribution center to a new location in London. Uh-huh. And the caves I jumped at the or the second the caves. caves, the caves. Mm. Yeah, 
Um, so I jumped at the opportunity and moved from Rochester to London to spearhead that project, design mm-hmm. and build their new Afanash facility and distribution center, mm-hmm. and have mo- moved back to the U.S. a few months ago and now living in San Diego. And are you still working for Niels Yard in America? Yes, I am. I am, I am the first uh, employee of Niels Yard Dairy Incorporated, a company that was created in 2017. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. Well, congratulations. Yeah, so are you selling Niels Yard Dairy in America? Is that is that your job or are you building a cave or okay no 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 we're not we're, we don't we don't have any plans in the books to build caves in the u.s yet um, <laughs> okay. although i i'm holding out hope i'm holding out hope because uh, yeah, that's your strong I've point a sales role. it is it is yeah. cave design has become my career i, I don't know how it just happened <laughs> well you know a lot you know a lot now i also saw that you're a dietitian or a nutritionist or both correct yes the uh so I went to Johnson & Wales, went mm-hmm. to the Culinary Arts program, um, got my associates in Culinary Arts, and then they started this program called Culinary Nutrition mm-hmm. uh, the year before I was finishing my associate's degree. Mm-hmm. And at that time, molecular gastronomy was, was something that everyone was talking about. It was it was the buzz term. Right. And I figured if I'm going to learn about food science, why not learn about food science from a nutrition aspect? Mm-hmm. So I did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it, it's an accredited university and an accredited program, that allowed me, when I was while I was living in New York City, to do my didactic program in dietetics, mm. which is essentially a, a year-long internship, mm-hmm. uh, finishes with a huge test, um, <laughs> and allows you to call yourself uh, a dietitian. Oh, so cool. I did that at Hunter College, and okay. funnily enough, um, the last job that I had before taking that position at Murray's. Well, I had three jobs at that time. If you mm-hmm. can imagine living, living in New York City, you know what it's like. Right. Uh, I was uh, one of the dietitians working in Harlem Hospital um, with an affiliation with the neonatal ICU. Oh, wow. So calculating uh, amino acid and fatty acid, you know, macronutrient needs for premature babies oh. was as far away from food as I could get while still <laughs> nourishing people. <laughs> and cheese seemed like the most scientific way for me to get back into food and agriculture. Now I have a question. When did you fall in love with cheese? Was it at Murray's or was it, you know, uh, as a kid or when when did the cheese bug bite you? Yeah, I I've I've always loved food. Um, food <laughs> well, food in is one I've thing. Say, yeah, you know, I I'd love to be able to say that I was eating artisanal cheese as a kid growing up, and that's but what my family was. me to. But nobody <laughs> was. It was it was Cabot and Cracker Barrel, and and you know, I'm not. I wasn't averse to the occasional cheese whiz on a wheat thin. Um, I just. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, did you have Murray's cheese food. wrapped in plastic in a sandwich? Oh, it, it has happened to make a grilled <laughs> cheese in my day. Uh, not in the last 20 years. Oh, but it, thankfully, it thankfully. <laughs> um, I mean, Murray's for me was, was just a, a, a toe in the water. I, I really have to say, having been able to experience when I first moved to France in NC, yeah. uh, a farmer's market there just kind of changed my life. Not mm-hmm. kind of, it definitely mm-hmm. changed my life. The way mm-hmm. you interact with a customer who's coming up to you in your shop or on your market and them knowing exactly what they're looking for because of this 
uh, this, uh, you know, innate sort of loving relationship that they have with terroir and the regions mm-hmm. and, you know, a, a sale of from to someone who lives in Savoie, where Annecy is located, walking up to the counter and then just kind of understanding that one of the cheeses that they're going to buy is from that region. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really appreciated that. And I wanted to learn more about it. And it's basically been a quest of, of learning. I just mm-hmm. am thirsty for it. I don't ever want to stop. Yeah. There's so much to learn. Right, right. And you've, but you've logged time at some of the best cheese places in the world. I'd like to think so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I don't know about Wegmans. I do know about Murray's. Uh, and, I mean, Neil Jordari and Mons are two, are way up there. Yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, sometimes I think <laughs> that I'm lucky. But every time, every time I find myself saying that, there's, there's somebody else usually related to me. My mother and father have been a good support uh-huh. saying, no, you worked your ass off. You deserved <laughs> all of this. So uh, it's, um, it's, been, it's been a crazy ride. Mm-hmm. Um, my mm-hmm. time at Mons that I wouldn't trade for anything mm-hmm. saw me taking my own time on weekends, driving out to visit cheesemakers and uh. really not having any downtime because yeah. – I felt I felt like I knew that was going to be my only opportunity, so I yeah. had to take advantage of yeah. it, and well, I recommend it to anyone. Yeah. Well, both France and England are so much smaller than this country that you can yeah. drive. You know, you can drive across the country and see a cheesemaker for the weekend. You can't do that here. You can, and and it's really funny because, especially in France, mm-hmm. the scope. That there, there really isn't an appreciation for the size of the country because I grew up as a kid north of Boston, mm-hmm. and I would drive on a day trip to go to Killington to go snowboarding. Uh huh. You know, it's three and a half hours away. Right. And you tell someone in France that you're driving three and a half hours to stay there for one night to come back the next day, and they think you're crazy. <laughs> if you're not going to go for four days, they're not going to drive three and a half hours. Right. So right. that was both both an advantage and a handicap when I think back. Um, nobody wanted to come with me, so I had to do it all on my own. (laughs) Okay. So we have to take a break. Uh, We'll be right back with Eric Meredith to discuss his research next. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk combined with expertise in affinage is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Surchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Hi, we're back with Eric Meredith. 
now to discuss some of the research possibilities. Uh, so I'm wondering, this was something funny that happened while I was reading your, um, your vision, your cheese vision, which was your application for the award, I think. Um, yeah. I noticed it was dated 2023. Now, yeah. now, and then, like an hour or so later, I noticed that there was also a 2022 vision online for the DZTA award. Is that where you got the idea? No, that's part of the application process. So okay. The vision must be written. Oh, in, in the future. future. Okay. They, yes. they tell yes. you to do that. Yes, um, and I loved that aspect of the application <laughs> because it really forced me to not only understand what I was about to do, because everything has to happen before I present this information in ACS in July, right, but what right. I really hoped was going to stem from this in the future. Uh-huh. Well, I, was, I didn't know that was the application's request, so I'm reading your vision, and I'm thinking this doesn't make sense to me. This is the future. <laughs> well, he hasn't done this yet. How can he know? Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then I realized it, and then I saw that there was a vision about DZTA that was from 2022, and I thought maybe you'd just gotten the idea from them. But I guess they request that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, now I'm now I know. Okay. So the list of your topics though uh is quite amazing and quite educational. Uh I'm just going to read some of them. Uh Mucor, is that how you pronounce it? Mucor. Mucor. Okay. Pseudomonas. Yeah. Uh extraneous mold growth rind slip or slip skin, crystal formations. Okay, so that's what you like to focus on? So that is what I assumed the responses were going to be from okay. uh, a couple of polls that went out there. Okay. Um, I mean, having, having worked in with cheese and in the industry for, for quite some time now, mm -hmm. these are all issues that I've come across on a number of occasions. Um, and, and were so you correct? That, were you correct? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Those were, those, those were in the top, the top tier of answers that came through from uh, the couple of polls that have been done and, those and the are, numerous conversations that I've had. And that's what people want help with? Yes. Or, or yes. more so the, science behind or, or what, what, yeah. what do they want and what are you planning on giving them? Yeah, so the, the original idea for um, my application for the scholarship was to take some of the guesswork out of what cheesemakers in America are doing when they're experiencing some of these issues with cheeses in their caves mm -hmm. or their drying rooms or their hastening rooms or mm -hmm. basically after the make. Mm -hmm. And what my plan is, uh, and I, I've, had, I've, been, I've, I've made one trip already to France, Spent okay. two weeks in France and a couple of days in Switzerland, mm -hmm. gathering up research. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be doing a meta-analysis 
of research that's already out there on mm-hmm. these topics and, and several more. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is to distill it down into something that is usable by these U.S. cheesemakers mm-hmm. so that if they are experiencing slip skin and they're dealing with a lactic style goat's milk cheese and they don't have really great control over the environment in their hastening space, mm-hmm. that the idea would be, and this is one of the things that I'm working on, which is why I can talk to it. The idea would be to give them a specific temperature humidity range mm-hmm. that is ideal for both drying out the rinds so the yeast can start growing mm-hmm. and slowing down any other microbial processes that would be happening underneath the rind as it's developing mm-hmm. so that everything can happen in the right amount of time um, so that they can move their cheeses from that hastening space into their cave, mm-hmm. get the right breakdown, develop all the flavors and aromas that they're looking for, and not have to worry about the dreaded slip skin. <laughs> now, but... Even if you do everything right, doesn't don't don't things go wrong sometimes? Absolutely, and that's the whole point of this research. Mm-hmm. Because you you know it's not it's not as though we're sewing a pillow um, and you need exactly the same amount of stitches, but you might need one more. Right. Um, if you do everything perfect, mm-hmm. every single thing. You control your environment, Mm -hmm. you know the temperatures and humidity, you have the same Mm -hmm. person making the cheese at the same temperature, you want it to happen at the same time. The tiniest little deviation from the raw material, so the Mm -hmm. climate has changed a little bit, the the pasture that the animals are eating or even the hay that they're eating, the composition changes slightly, Mm -hmm. and that comes all the way through the cheese-making process. Or the cows are in a bad mood. Exactly. Yeah, they're stressed or they're <laughs> right. There's to get a storm Ill. or something. Yeah, all of these things have an impact, and mm-hmm. I, I try to equate it like turning an aircraft carrier. Right. Uh huh. It takes an extraordinary amount of time to get it going, but once it's going, it also takes a very long time to slow it down. So if mm-hmm. you turn the wheel five degrees and you're going twelve hundred miles, I'm not going to do the exact math, but <laughs> right. by turning the wheel five degrees, you can wind up, you know, five hundred miles off course. Right. And the same thing's true with cheese making. Mm-hmm. Uh, the smallest change, mm-hmm. even unnoticeable change that right. happens within the snake process to mm-hmm. milk composition or climate or health mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. any of these things mean you're gonna wind up with a different cheese in the end. So we're trying to narrow that bandwidth as right. much as possible. Right. Now, could you also wind up with a better cheese? I I hope so. I uh, mean, no, but I mean, just <laughs> like a fluke. A fluke could cause a better cheese or could cause a problem. Oh, man, I, I would, I hesitate to put a real number to it, but <laughs> I would guess that, you know, a high percentage of cheeses that are out there exist because of accidents. Yeah, yeah. Original accidents um, it, in the recipe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Something. Yeah. You know what? Wow, this turned out better. Let's look. Let's look back at this make sheet and see what went wrong. You know, right. holding up, right. holding up quotes. What went wrong to create <laughs> this product? Because um, it turns out it's actually fantastic. Let's recreate that. Right. So absolutely. Right. I mean, if, if ultimately what 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 most cheesemakers aspire to. Uh, well, they, they want high standards for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. Mm-hmm. Food safety is very important, but consistency is key. Yeah. If you have a very consistent, really good cheese, you're winning. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of times it's really hard, especially for artisan cheesemakers, when, when we're having these conversations mm-hmm. with 
uh, you know, even at Neil's Yard Dairy, having these conversations with people who are buying our cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a batch that, that we don't want to send mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't quite meet our standards. Mm-hmm. Um, our standards are very high. And yes. for, for everyone in this industry, it's something that we all agree on. You know, selling a bad cheese uh, will, will sort of muddy the waters for all the rest of the cheese that's out there. Right. But regularity, consistency, and good quality, I mean, we're not we're not making uh, Toyota Corollas uh, that are just coming off the <laughs> <laughs> the assembly line. Um, so many different variables come into play. Right. So I want I want that cheesemaker to be able to take a step in a direction that they can feel confident is the right direction mm-hmm. because. I'm trying to distill all this information from a mm-hmm. huge wealth of knowledge of European research. Mm-hmm. Now, is Mons a cheesemaker and an affinage place? Yes, Mons makes cheese. Now, they were not making cheese when I was there. Oh, okay. Um, but they built on built on a little annex, mm-hmm. um, that, and they're buying milk locally in the region to um, to make mm-hmm. mixed milk cheeses and yogurts. Oh, okay. um, my time at Mons allowed me so many opportunities to make, mm-hmm. I mean, just about every different kind of cheese that there is in France mm-hmm. over a long period of time. Oh. And I'm, I, feel, I feel really, really fortunate that I yeah. had the opportunity. That is amazing. Yeah. Now, I did notice that um, another thing on your application was uh, all the initials of the of the various uh, organizations. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> One being so, INRA, which is that? Yes, that, that is the Institut National de Recherche Agricole. Oh, so very that is nice. The French Agricultural Research Institute. And there were like five different French uh, sources? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, so TGAS. Oh, TGAS, one was um, one was from Ireland. Correct. Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> and they are along the same vein. Uh-huh. Um, there are a, a very very good research institute. Yeah. Um, and most most of this is most of this is based in French research because well simply because they have most of it. Yeah. Um, and also because I speak French and I feel uh-huh. like it's a good opportunity to be able to translate some of that information that some American cheesemakers and affineurs won't, won't oh, be able to do. Okay. I didn't, I didn't realize. I, I thought also maybe there was just more French cheese research than there is American cheese research. Well, there, yes, is the short answer. <laughs> there is much more <laughs> French cheese research. Because than it American goes further research. back and, and they yeah. like to do stuff like that, I guess. Yeah, and there are more groups. Um, yeah. All of these, all of these uh, AOPs in France, mm-hmm. not all, most, mm-hmm. have a support group. So they're paying out, you know, cents for every hundred pounds of milk that they're producing. They're paying cents to these institutes that are promoting them. So they're creating advertising and mm-hmm. pamphlets and commercials and brochures. Mm-hmm. But they're also sending this money to researchers who are then diving deeper into, let's say, packaging um, mm-hmm. packaging options or mm-hmm. using that for technical help within the AOP. So if ever there's a widespread 
blight that that wipes out Saint Mont de Touraine. Mm-hmm. There is an institute there that can help them bring that cheese back to okay. a healthy state, okay. all while helping them also sell it. Now, do we have a uh, uh, that in the United States? Who's it, supposed to do that? <laughs> so um, <laughs> the, the camaraderie uh, isn't forced in the United States. So if you want to create a cheese in mm-hmm. a specific region yeah. uh, and call it abundance, mm-hmm. um, you have to follow a, a, a certain amount of rules with where it can be produced, which type of animal you can use, mm-hmm. how much of it you can make, um, and all a, a geographical location. All of these things matter. Um, and w- that nothing like that exists in the United States. So because mm-hmm. There isn't that cohesion with a certain recipe and a certain terroir. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's difficult to group producers together and combine the efforts. Not many people want to make the same cheese as their neighbor because they see that as a competitive disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so the number of places who are corroborating data and spreading it to the mass is very, very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, Wisconsin is one of the states that's that does it that, well, a little it, better. It, that does it, and that does it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But still, I, I and I don't know too much about it, um, so I'm not going to say too much about it. But there is definitely opportunity for wider spread issues that are being had in artisan cheese um, to come together, pool resources, and find some research, some researchers, some institutes to mm-hmm. help them overcome some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, should you, I mean, is that like your fifth step is trying to get (laughs) them organized (laughs) after you? Ultimately, yeah. Ultimately, I think that would be an amazing goal. Um, (laughs) I'm also also sitting on the education committee at the American Cheese Society. And one of the things that I I pride myself on pushing for Mm -hmm. uh, is more science-based um, science-based sessions mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like we, we, we need to push the envelope mm-hmm. and um, the CDR, the Center for Dairy Research in Wisconsin has been presenting, luckily for all of us members of ACS has been presenting at ACS doing these deep dives mm-hmm. um, these intense three-hour sessions on cheese defects uh-huh. and um, other really great things that are all based in science, which mm-hmm. is really great. Um, okay. If I could, if I could move the needle anywhere, I would love to create more, more enthusiasm behind mm-hmm. getting together as a group mm-hmm. and and you know upping mm-hmm. the quality of products that are being mm-hmm. produced in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't one of the problems again how big the country is? Because the cheesemakers who would be the most interested, I think, in in the results of the research are so far away from each other, they can barely make it to ACS. Yeah, that it is an issue. But I'd, I'd like to think in this day and age, with all of the tools we have right. at our disposal, that right. distance doesn't necessarily matter. Right. I mean, That's if you true. Want, you could have a FaceTime you, meeting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But if you want really good technical support on your make process, mm-hmm. then someone has to be there. Yeah. If I... Yeah. I'm going to really try and help you with airflow or temperature mm-hmm. control within right. an aging space. It takes, it takes more than just a, a video conference it. call. Right, 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 right. 
Now, so you've yeah, made you've made one trip to France so far. Yes. Are you going again? I am. I okay. hope. I hope to go again. There okay. are. I, I started the conversation on many different areas, and okay. I can feel the energy coming back. There's a lot of people <laughs> doing some really great stuff on my behalf, which is oh, outstanding. Great. Okay. Um, but I would love, I'd love an opportunity to go back and, mm-hmm. and further those conversations with a couple of these mm-hmm. um, really fantastic researchers. Now, are you going to have to narrow things down? Or, I mean, what are you focusing on first? Um, oof. Uh, I've just come back from about a, a month of traveling on the East Coast. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at the stack <laughs> of, of articles right now <laughs> sitting on my desk. Okay. Um, one of the things that I I would say that I'm most interested in is this extraneous mold growth. So really trying to understand um, if we have tufts of this filamentous, you know, white mold growing, is it really detrimental to our cheese mm-hmm. or is it just a, a, an aspect that we mm-hmm. don't like to see? And if we do find a way to get rid of it, is it going to negatively impact Mm. the texture, the flavors, the aromas that I'm mm. getting out of this cheese. Okay. Um, now, so by extraneous, by extraneous, what do you mean? Like it wasn't planned, it's extra? Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that is not meant to be. Okay. But you don't know if it's a plus or a minus or, or in between? I feel like the majority of times... I, I talk to cheesemakers about this. Mm-hmm. It's just from it. They don't want to see it. Okay. They, think, <laughs> they, they don't want to see it visually. Right. But it is little known. Well, not necessarily. In some cases, there's very little known about mm-hmm. how it impacts the development of that cheese. Mm-hmm. So while it could just be two tiny little tufts of mold growth on mm-hmm. the surface, it could be that there's this mycelial structure that really has huge enzymatic difference in the paste and under the rind, mm-hmm. changing the way this cheese tastes and feels mm-hmm. on your mu- in your mouth. So okay. um, I want to make sure that if somebody's trying to eliminate something from their make, uh, that they know how to do that, but they also understand what the potential impact could be. Okay. You know, I think to some of those pharmaceutical commercials where they're telling you all these great things, and then you have this guy talking at a very high speed, saying all of these all the um, side, side effects. effects that could happen. <laughs> yeah, I want to slow that down for everyone and just explain, <laughs> hey, this is the this is the ultimate goal. This is the dream that we want right. all of these things to get better. But keep in mind, right, that these things could these things could go wrong at the same right. time. And that's or not it, always, that's not always at the forefront. Right, or it could contribute to taste in some. Uh, as yet undiscernible way. Right. 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 Well, it does seem like you want to help answer a lot of Afanage questions. I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you, you've got a, a life plan. Uh, I hope. I hope I can turn this in, keep keep this in in the trajectory of my career. I mean, a lot of a lot of what I feel like I know now is this empirical knowledge that has been passed down, mm-hmm. you know, through through Hervé's father, Hubert, onto Hervé mm-hmm. and onto me, mm-hmm. uh, and then an experience that I've had in other places where I've worked, but to really have an understanding of the science behind why we're washing cheeses with brine, how mm-hmm. that is selecting the growth of yeasts and molds and bacteria on these rinds, and how that is 
then following on and impacting the texture and flavor and aroma development of these cheeses mm-hmm. is huge for me. I yeah. know, I know that you know we added certain ingredients to a wash because it made the cheese better. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I didn't know why, and mm-hmm. now I'm gaining this huge appreciation for the fact that this empirical knowledge was based on decades of practical use. Mm-hmm. And now I'm starting to be able to connect those dots. And it's really fascinating. Oh, cool. Well, very exciting news. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show and discussing all this. Eric Meredith, winner of the DZTA Award and uh, worker at Neil Short Dairy. You're the best. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Next week, I'll be having Tia Keenan uh, discussing her new book, Melt, Stretch, and Sizzle, The Art of Cooking Cheese. And I look forward to seeing Tia in the studio. Okay, signing off. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.